Good morning. Uh, we want to welcome you to Genesis. My name is Paul Mumon. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you've got a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to take it and uh, turn to Song of Songs, chapter 2. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, we've got some Bibles around the room on the floor. If you'd like to grab one of those, you can turn to page 468 uh, if, you're there, if you'd like. Uh, if you use something like the Version app on your phone too, uh, please, please feel free to follow along with the Song of Songs, uh, chapter 2. How many of you have seen the movie Castaway before? Anybody remember that movie Castaway? We talked about Titanic last week. I cried during it, all right? You might remember that story. Titanic today, I didn't cry, or Castaway today, I didn't cry uh, during Castaway. But in the movie, uh, Tom Hanks uh, plays main character Chuck Nolan. He's a, a FedEx international manager whose plane crashes somewhere over the Pacific. And uh, he survives, but ends up stranded on this deserted island. And uh, the movie's great, in my opinion. It's a, it's a great example uh, of some of the challenges of survival. It's a great example of some of the challenges of loneliness. And as a way of dealing with loneliness in the movie, what does Chuck Nolan do? Well, if you've seen it, you know that he, he, he finds a volleyball uh, that has washed ashore. He draws a face on it, and he names this volleyball Wilson, all right? He, he names this volleyball Wilson, and he has conversations uh, with it over the course of, of his time on this island, and it's really amazing. You know, again, if you've seen the movie, how uh, this relationship really kind of draws you in, and you kind of get an idea of what this loneliness uh, must have really been like for him. Well, uh, after a number of years of isolation, on the island after a failed suicide attempt, uh, Chuck finally builds a raft and tries to get off the island once and for all. That is Chuck and his friend, uh, Wilson. He takes the volleyball with him, and following uh, this successful launch, they get lost at sea. He eventually encounters a really great storm and barely survives. Uh, but the next day, once the waters had finally calmed, uh, without uh, you know Chuck Nolan or Tom Hanks paying attention, his constant companion, Wilson, falls from the raft, and really in one of the most powerful scenes of the movie, uh, Chuck begins to weep uncontrollably as he watches his only friend uh, float away. And uh, through this brief scene, uh, director Robert uh, Zemeckis just really lays bare, I think, the undeniable heartache in every human heart for companionship. Uh, and for relationships. And it really is a, a beautiful picture of a need which supersedes the mere desire for sexual gratification or attraction. And, uh, you know, is it any wonder that the Bible tells us that not too long after God created the, world, uh, the earth that he created man uh, to live in it, and it wasn't too long after that that we read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, where the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him, that God created male and female, and he put them together. He created us with this need for love. Uh, he created us this, uh, with this need for relationships. And because most of uh, every one of us here will at one time or another uh, desire or seek or into, enter into a romantic relation with someone else, we need to ask ourselves, where is it that we go looking for guidance? Or where is it that we should look for direction regarding these relationships? Well, we're in the second week of a series here at, call, at Genesis called uh, relation, uh, Relationship Goals or Hashtag uh, Relationship Goals. Now, this hashtag label is a frequently used tag in, in social media. And how does it work? Well, uh, when someone sees something uh, that they want to emulate in a relationship, like in a beautiful or inspiring photo, they'll frequently, frequently tag it Hashtag Relationship Goals. 
Well, we believe that the Old Testament book, The Song of Songs, paints a picture of some ideal relationship goals. And so starting last week and continuing today and over the next four weeks, we're going to study portions of this book, The Song of Songs, together. Now, uh, if you're new to church uh, or new to the Bible, Song of Songs can be a little tricky to understand. And uh, so over the next four weeks, again, as we study these portions, uh, you're going to see maybe some of this confusion uh, from time to time. And I think one of the things that we have to point out is that you really can read it and study it from two true perspectives. Uh, The first one is that it is an allegory that represents a picture of God and his intense love for us. And the second is that it's a passionate love story between a man and a woman. And when I say passionate, I do mean passionate, all right? Uh, And if you've never read through Song of Songs before, you're gonna find it's a little saucy, all right? A little little steamy at times. And and once you read it, if you've never read it before, you're gonna think to yourself, wow, I, I had no idea this was in the Bible. This is my new favorite book, right? And uh, so we're going to make lots of progress together uh, over the next few weeks. But uh, many believe King Solomon wrote the Song of Songs. And if you know anything about Solomon, you may know that in the Old Testament, it talks about the fact that he had something like 700 wives and 300 concubines in his lifetime. I'll be honest with you, knowing that and first looking at Song of Songs, I had a tough time trying to understand why we should take relationship advice uh, from a guy that had so many women in his life. Well, many scholars believe that Solomon wrote this book later on in his life after these poor decisions, but now drawing on those lessons that he learned through it all. And, well, isn't it true that sometimes life can be the very best teacher? You know, sometimes when we have those experiences, and I mean, it's Proverbs 13, 14 that says, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. See, the fact is that we can learn from the wise. We can uh, learn from those who have made mistakes. We can learn from our, our own mistakes. And by the grace of God, God is so good that he can take the messes that we sometimes make and he can redeem them and he can use them for a greater good. And uh, just so you know where we're going over these next four weeks together, we're going to talk about things like attraction. We're going to talk about dating. We're going to talk about marriage next week. We're going to talk about sexual intimacy the week following. And so due to the content of this series, parents, you might want to think PG-13 throughout the course of this. And so it's up to you to decide whether uh, this is the best environment for your child or something like our Gen Kids ministry uh, might be better for them. But uh, last week, if you missed, and if you always miss, you can go back and check it out on our podcast, but we talked about four different qualities uh, that we should look for in a date, all right, or four different qualities we should look for in a mate, or uh, four qualities that we want to see God produce in us. And today, I want to talk to you specifically about dating. And when I say dating, I'm not talking about casual dating, uh, but maybe for today, let's call it more intentional dating. Uh, This is the kind of dating when you begin asking, you know, is this this someone that I could spend uh, the rest of my life with? All right, and and can I say this uh, before we go any further? Um, I I would say that if the 40-year-old Paul, I'm 40 today, if I've never let you know that, but if the 40-year-old Paul could write the 18-year-old Paul today, I'd I'd have some, I think, wise words to say uh, to him when it comes to casual dating. And uh, if I'm honest, I'm not sure it's wise or even good for us uh, to enter into and out of relationships. 
Um, now, looking back, like looking back on, on those days for me, I, I don't know if it was good for my heart uh, to date different girls and, and again, to enter into and out of these relationships. I get it. I mean, I know that there's some good that comes from that. I, I can see both sides of the story, but you know, there, there are lots of lessons, life lessons to be learned from our relationships. And I know that God used each of the relationships that I had in my life to teach me lessons and to teach me uh, about the importance of waiting on him and trusting him. But I just say this, if I had to do it all over again, I'd have been more patient. Uh, I would have enjoyed my friendships a little bit more. I would have asked better questions about who to date and maybe my motivations for doing so. And so I, I just say all of that to you today to say that as we talk about dating this morning, we're not talking about casual dating, all right? I, I'm not talking about that first date or maybe even a couple of dates or something, but instead I wanna talk to you about relationships, those kinds of relationships where you're moving toward something, where you're moving toward a, a marriage or engagement or, or maybe already there. And I will add this too, much of what we talk about today can also be applied in marriage. And in your marriage right now, because let's face it, uh, if you're married, we all know that marriage is hard, all right? It's a wonderful thing, but it can also be a very challenging thing. And you know that if you're not careful, it's real easy to get stuck in your marriage and we quit focusing on the most important things and we get so wrapped up or distracted by the lesser uh, important things. And, and so often what happens is we stop doing those things that were an important part of your dating relationship, while some of those things need to still be incorporated even into the marriage relationship today. So let's get back to the story that we introduced last week. Uh, last week, we, we met this couple. We met a couple in the story in Song of Songs, a couple that in chapter one, uh, they start expressing their feelings for one another. Uh, and now this relationship is getting serious. I mean, if they had a Facebook page, I mean, they are in a relationship, all right? They are in a serious relationship. They're thinking wedding, all right? They're probably fantasizing about their wedding night. And let's pick it up in Song of Songs, chapter two, starting in verse 11. Uh, here, here are the words from this woman in the story. Story. She says, see, the winter is past. Uh, the rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. Now, what season is it, uh, according to this woman? She says, the winter's past, right? So we know that, well, what comes next? We know that it's spring, all right? It's an exciting time, which means that the sun is out, the air is warm, uh, the flowers are in full bloom, the, the roots are growing deeper. I mean, what she's really saying is love is in the air. Like, this is an exciting time uh, of life, and it's a great place to be, isn't it? I mean, if you've ever been in love before, if you've ever uh, started into a relationship or fallen for someone, fallen in love with someone before, I mean, you know the excitement and, and the potential uh, of a new uh, relationship. But let's be honest. Some of you here today, you wish you were, relationally speaking, in the spring, right? Uh, you wish you could meet someone. Uh, you'd love to enjoy the spring, but Maybe the reality for you right now is that you feel like you are very much stuck in the winter. And maybe for some of you, maybe, maybe you're coming out of a relationship right now and it hurts. Uh, maybe, maybe you lost uh, your marriage recently and you're trying to cope with, with the reality of the pain and the loss. Maybe it's just that you're single right now and there seems to be no one, no one to date, no one interested at this time. It feels like winter. It, it can feel like winter, right? I, I just want to encourage you today with this, that God can use the winter uh, he, he loves to use the winter seasons of our life. And you may feel abandoned, you may feel lost, you may feel hopeless, but God doesn't stop working in the winter. I mean, it's true. I mean, maybe, maybe for some of you today, maybe he's got you in the winter right now to heal some hurts in your life. 
Uh, there's some specific work that he wants to do uh, in you. Maybe, maybe he has you in the winter right now to readjust your priorities. Uh, maybe he's got you in the winter because he's sparing you uh, from future pain and, and maybe a dating relationship that he knew wasn't the best uh, for you. Maybe he's using this season. Maybe he's using this winter season to build a greater faith in you. God can use the winter. And face it, you can't have a beautiful spring without going the winter and sometimes going through the winter with him first. Now, it's likely that one or both of these individuals have endured a winter season in their life, but whatever the case, it's spring now, all right? And so there's love and excitement. Let's not miss it. Uh, back up, if you would, right there in chapter 2. Go back to verse 8. Uh, listen to the words of the, this woman again. She says, listen, my beloved, look, all right? You, you got to hear it, all right? You got to hear it appropriately. She says, here he comes, all right, leaping across the mountains, all right, bounding over the hills. What sort of impression does she have of this man who is coming to see her? I mean, again, she's in love and he's in love. And so what's he doing? Again, take note of the enthusiasm. He's rushing to be with her. She's excited to see him come. He's not ashamed for how anyone sees him or what he feels about her. And so he's doing everything he can to be with this woman. I, I remember I was a, uh, a junior in college. Is that right? I was a senior in college uh, when I met Jenny. And uh, we were in the same class together and kind of knew of each other, but had not really ever met. And so it was group project time, uh, which is kind of always a love-hate sort of, of thing when, if you think back to your college days. And I remember our professor had assigned a group project, four per group, and he passed around a sheet of paper where you're just so, so start signing up uh, for a group. So I was one of the first people to get this sheet, and so I put my name down on this piece, piece of paper. And well, Jenny signed up for my group. All right, now later on, she would say that she signed up for my group because she knew I was a good student, that I was responsible, that I would also work hard on this project. But we know why she signed up for that group, right? I mean, let's just cut to the chase. Well, it wasn't too long after that group project that we started hanging out and we started spending time together and we were dating. And uh, man, you know what it's like. I mean, when you get into a relationship like that, you can't get enough time uh, with each other. And so even though we were students and she had all of her responsibilities and my responsibilities, man, we were looking for each other, getting together as often as we could. And I remember a little later on in our relationship, in fact, I think we were uh, engaged at the time, Jenny had to take a three-week uh, cross-cultural experience for her nursing degree. And so she was, uh, she was in South Korea. Uh, I, I was working. I had since graduated and was already working a job there in Anderson. And so she had been gone for three weeks. And of course, I'm really excited for her to come back. She flew back on a Thursday night and flew into Detroit. Her mom was going to pick her up. They live just north of, of Fort Wayne in Auburn, Indiana. And so I had to work on Thursday. And I also had to work again on Friday. And so the plan was that, you know, even though she came home on Thursday, I'd drive up on Friday after work and we'd spend the weekend together at her parents' house. Well, I couldn't wait. And so I got off of work on that Thursday night. I drove the two hours uh, to Auburn and, and kind of waited there at her house. I hid. I wanted this to be a surprise. She and her mom got home. Her mom pulled into the garage. Jenny immediately went inside. Well, I caught her mom. Her mom opened the trunk and I slipped into the trunk with her suitcase. They shut the trunk lid. You know how it goes. A couple minutes later, Jenny comes to the trunk. Oh, there's Paul. There's my fiance. And so we had, you know, 
so much fun seeing each other. Well, I went ahead and stayed there with her parents that night, got up Friday morning, drove the two hours back to Anderson to work, only to get off work, get back in the car and drive the two hours back to Auburn to spend the week. You know what it's like when you are in a relationship. Like You'll do crazy things in order to be with each other. And that's what we see happening here with this man, with Solomon. He's going to great lengths to be with her. Pick it up in verse 9. She said, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. Now, that seems a little creepy, all right? You, you, you get arrested for that kind of stuff today. Uh, she, she said, my beloved spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. Now, again, notice how he waits for her, but he waits for her outside. Right? He understands where they are in their relationship. He's gazing through the window. He's not a peeping Tom here. This is like some ancient game of peekaboo, uh, really, that they're playing. But, but I think more than that, it really is a figurative description of the man looking past the surface and really wanting to know this woman and wanting to know her on a deeper level. And so he says, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. Let's come spend time together. These two are in a serious relationship. And because they're in this relationship, there's this increasing desire to spend time with each other, to get to know each other on a more intimate level. What about for us? Uh, what, what about for those of you that are in a relationship right, right now and, and you're praying or you're anticipating the day, uh, you know, that, that you're married? Or, or what about for those of us that, you know, you, you know, you're waiting to be in a relationship like this? You're anticipating a moment like this. Again, last week we talked about the qualities we want to look for in other people. The question we want to ask today is what's next? Uh, how, how do you date in a way that honors God? How, how do you pursue each other in a way that honors the Lord? How, how do you date in a way that best prepares you for marriage or at least allows you to answer some important questions before getting married? And I think we see some things here that are worth noting in this relationship. Uh, they're in your notes if you want to follow along today. The first one that I want to point out is that when it comes to dating, take your time. All right, take your time in dating. Don't rush. Uh, don't discount the importance of spending appropriate time together because time is the only thing that will allow the qualities that we talked about last week to really be put to the test, uh, to truly reveal themselves. Time, time's the only thing that's gonna allow you to ask, you know, does this person have godly character? Is this a person that I can trust? Is this a, a person with higher standards or someone that's going to encourage me? Only time will tell if these things are true. And so I'll say this, ladies, if you've got wedding on the brain, all right? Uh, fellas, if you've got wedding night uh, on the brain, you gotta dial it down a notch, all right? It, it's okay to wait. It's, it's okay to take your time. We don't wanna rush because getting to know each other, it takes time. And rushing into an engagement or into a marriage is a really bad idea. And if there are some of you that are in a relationship right now and you think, you know what, this could be the one, again, don't discount the importance of this time together. There's so much to be learned through spending time together. You can't have too much information when it comes to committing your life to someone else. I heard someone say it like this, the two most important decisions that you'll make in your life is to number one, to follow Jesus, and to number two, who you will marry. The two most important decisions. So don't discount appropriate time getting to know each other. Uh, back to Song of Songs, uh, chapter two, verse 11. 
Again, see, the winter has passed, the rains are over and gone, flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in our land. Again, it's just a way of expressing, hey, this is where we are, this is exciting, there's, there's possibilities here. Verse 13, the fig tree forms its early fruit, the blossoming vines spread their fragrance, uh, arise, come my darling, he says, my beautiful one, come with me. Now, they're not off to have sex, all right? But they'd like to, all right? That physical attraction is there. But for now, they recognize the importance of being together, of time together, building trust, encouraging each other. And so take time. Take the appropriate time in your relationships because it's gonna lead to the second thing that I wanna point to here is that only time is gonna allow you to engage in honest conversations with each other. I mean, only time is going to allow you to really get to know one another, because here's the thing. We've all got this. Every single one of us, all right? Every single one of us has baggage, all right? And uh, it doesn't matter who you are. You know, I mean, if you've got a past, if you've got a story, if you grew up in a family with imperfect people, if you've been in previous relationships, uh, you've got a story, you've got a history, we've all got baggage that we bring into our relationships. And the truth is that when we're casually dating, when we first start meeting people, man, those are usually just surface level conversations, aren't they? I mean, we'll do our best to hide this baggage, right? We don't want to reveal these things too quickly. We want to make sure that this is someone that I can trust. This is someone that I'm not going to scare off. But there has to come a point in your relationship, in your dating, in your engagement, where you get all of these things out on the table and you begin to process these things uh, together. And so, again, we hide these things, but let's look at how this couple recognizes the importance of these conversations. Verse 14, he says to her, he says, my dove in the clefts of the rock. All right, again, see, see the language he's using here, this assumption that she's hiding something. He says, in the hiding places on the mountainside, he says, show me your face. Uh, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. lovely. And so he's luring her out. This is his way of saying, you know what? Let's get to know each other, all right? Uh, tell me your heart. Uh, share all of your secrets with me. I, I wanna know your fears. Uh, I wanna know your dreams. I, I wanna be a safe place for you. I want this relationship to be a safe place for each each of us so that we can share with each other. Craig Glickman is a biblical professor who has dedicated significant time and study to the Song of Songs. He writes this, he says, one good indication of real love is a desire to communicate, a wish to discover all about this person whom you love so much. No detail seems true trivial to be related. No mood or feeling of one is unimportant to the other and you care about the details and the feelings because you care about this person so so much, And so it's important uh, for you in your relationships to have these honest conversations, uh, to get this baggage out so that you can discuss these things, because if you don't, sooner or later it's going to come out. And uh, think about the stories that maybe you know, or maybe you've experienced some of these things in your life where, you know what, we, we push these things to the side, or we refuse to discuss them, or maybe we overlook them, or maybe, maybe it was really just a secret kept, and then we were ma- married and it doesn't mean you can't work through them, but you know some of the challenges that can come with that. Uh, the writer here continues, verse 15. 
Look what the man says. He says, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in full bloom. Now, in the ancient world, foxes were notorious for being these little villains that could potentially wreak havoc and devastate a vineyard. And so Solomon is using the vineyard here as a symbol for our lives. He's using it as a symbol, uh, in this case, for uh, the relationship. And so he says to the woman, he says, hey, we need to catch the foxes. Basically, we got to be diligent about this time uh, of dating and engagement to identify the foxes is that potentially uh, these challenging areas that, that could ruin the relationship or could cause future problems and, discuss, and destruction. Uh, here, here's what you and I need to know. When it comes to a man and a woman entering into a relationship and potentially into a marriage with one another, no one's perfect, right? We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God, all right? But we're saved by grace, all right? And even though we're saved by grace, we still sin. Right? We still have these imperfections. We all bring baggage into the marriage. And so if you're in a serious relationship right now or hope to be in one one day, I just want to encourage you. You know that you need to pay attention to the differences and just have some honest conversations about life before moving on into marriage. Uh, conversations about things like finances and how to, how to handle money. We just finished up a financial peace class here on Sunday nights. I would say to any couple, before you get married, I, I think it ought to be a requirement that you go through financial peace uh, together first. Uh, but conversations about roles and responsibilities. Who's going to do what? What's my expecta- expectations of you, your expectations of me? Uh, conversations about sexual experiences from the past. Uh, conversations about family, how many kids, future expectations when, when, in regards to, to parents. I, I was talking with a guy the other day. He was just, he's a little bit older than I am, and he was just telling me about he and his wife and their home and how for the last 10 years they've had at least one, if not two parents in their home, people, uh, parents that they're taking care of. And I, I just kind of acknowledged, I said, you know, that, that's got to be challenging at times. And he says, yeah, it is. But he says, before we ever got married, we made that commitment to one another that we would take care of our parents, that that was one of the roles that we wanted to play for our parents. And so even though it's hard, it made all of the difference for them. I would say this, if pornography is an issue for one of you or for both of you, that's a challenge that needs to be worked through right now. Don't overlook the potential devastating consequences that can come from something like an addiction to pornography. Conversations about fears and goals and dreams. And as you take these time, the time to discuss these things, be honest with yourself and ask you know, questions like, are we communicating? You know, are we demonstrating an ability to talk through these things? Can, can we work through conflict? And it's okay to have conflict. Uh, Jenny and I, we've been married. We've been married for a long time. We have conflict. But the question you've got to ask is, can you work through it? All right, can you learn from these things? Do, you, do either one of you, do you recognize when you mess up? Do you take responsibility for your actions? Is he or she someone that is willing to forgive or do they hold a grudge? Uh, ask questions like, is this person, is he or she willing to submit to authority? Uh, is he or she committed to their church? Or as we asked last week, does, the, does this person share uh, faith in Christ? Is this someone who will lead me closer to Jesus or away from Jesus? In preparing for marriage, we can't have too much information. And I, I, I don't just say, I, I'm not saying that you're going to find perfection, all right? We're not going to do that, but you need to know what's ahead of you. And you need to know and identify and, and prepare yourself for potential areas of conflict. It's one of the reasons why we require uh, premarital counseling for every couple that wants to get he- married here at Genesis Church. Uh, we work with a local counseling group. They provide somewhere around five sessions that cover many of these topics that I've raised uh, and others. I, I think it's important. 
I, I think it's so important. And so I, I look at it as an, an investment. Uh, it's worth the time. And I'll tell you this, that I've never worked with a couple before that has completed counseling and didn't have at least one area, uh, one growth area, one area of concern. But do you know what? They were better prepared for marriage by knowing about it up front. And so they've been given some tools and they've been given some tools that will help them prepare or just at least prepare them for what to expect as these things come up later. And so don't rush into marriage. Don't underestimate the importance of time and honest conversations. And, and, and the same is true if you're married. The importance of time and honest conversations. Because if you're married, I bet I know at least one thing about you that at one time when you were dating or when you were engaged, that, that during that time, you spent a lot of time together, all right? And there were long days together and long phone calls and sharing your heart and lives with each other. And now you're married. And what happened? Like kids, like kids, that's one of those things, you know, it's a wonderful blessing. But little Johnny comes along and everything changes, right? Uh, or life happens and, and the busyness of life. And it just has this habit of pulling us apart. And so it's so sad when couples stop dating and when couples stop talking, and, and the truth is that some of you are here today and you're in a marriage right now and it used to feel a lot like the spring. And uh, maybe there have been some really hot summer nights too along the way. But maybe for some of you this morning, that feels like such a long time ago that you aren't even close to that. And so no matter how long you've been married, don't let the busyness of life, don't let kids and, and their responsibilities get in the way of the two of you spending quality time together. And, and so make time to talk and to have con honest conversations. Uh, plan a getaway with each other. If, if you need professional help right now in your marriage, do it. Like consider it an investment in your marriage. And if for no one else, do it for your kids. Uh, there is no greater gift that you can give to your children than a mom and dad who love each other and enjoy one another. And so take, take appropriate time. Again, have these honest conversations. The third thing is to protect your purity uh, while you're dating. Protect your purity. Uh, Song of Songs, chapter two, verse seven. The woman says, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Some scholars think that this is just kind of calling out the importance of sex in a marriage, but the importance of waiting, all right, not experiencing sexual intercourse uh, until marriage. Because again, as we talked about last week, the truth of scripture is this, that God created sex. Uh, he invented it uh, and he wired us and that just means that he created every body part. He created every hormone. He, he created this desire for physical intimacy. Uh, God created sex, and because he created it, uh, for us as followers of Christ, he gets to say how it's used. And God's intent for sex was for it to be enjoyed by one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. And so, therefore, any sexual activity outside of these bounds is sexual sin. Uh, Pastor Tommy Nelson explains it like this. He says, would you, set a, would you set a fire in your living room? No. Do you have a fireplace in your home? If you have a fireplace, you likely set a fire in your living room, but you keep it contained in the device made explicitly for keeping a fire contained. Your fireplace made of brick, glass, metal, with pokers and screens, all designed to keep the fire precisely where you want it. He goes on to say, the same analogy applies to sexual fire in a relationship. Keep it in bounds. A fire kept in bounds provides warmth, happiness, and comfort. Out of bounds, it has the potential to destroy everything in its path. See, here's the thing. I know our culture today encourages hooking up, all right? 
I know living together before you're married today is just kind of sort of the norm. I know that saving yourself for your wedding night seems to be old-fashioned and maybe a little unrealistic, but I just want to say that just because our culture says it's old-fashioned doesn't mean it's less important or that it's not important. And I'll say this for, for those of you today, that if your heart's desire is to follow Christ, if you desire to follow Christ with all of your life, I want to challenge you today from this day forward to protect your purity and if you're not married, to save sex until your wedding night, to choose these higher standards. Because as we said last week, there are really two options when it comes to sexual sin in your dating relationships. The first one is that you can choose to honor the Lord together. The second is that you can choose to sin together that you really have one of two choices. And so ask yourself this, do you want a, a future marriage that's based on trust and, and honoring the Lord together? And if so, then don't build your future marriage on a foundation of sin right now. And so set standards up front, communicate these standards, uh, get some accountability for yourself and as a couple, set appropriate boundaries in your life, protect your purity and and just because maybe someone is asking or maybe someone is thinking, you know, why, well, why, why does God hold out on us? Like, why, why is this an area that he, he puts us out of bounds? It, it sure seems like he's wanting to keep us from fun and pleasure. The truth is that he's not holding out on us. The truth is he wants so much more for you and for you and for this relationship that has the potential to be a marriage. He, he wants to lead us into the fullest and deepest pleasure that he desires for us. See, sex is a wonderful thing when it's reserved and it's cherished in marriage. And I'll just say on a personal level, you know, I, I wish that I could say that Jenny and I uh, were perfect uh, in this area before we were married. We weren't. Uh, we, we, we certainly struggled, but we did wait. And I'm really grateful that we waited until our wedding day. I mean, we saved ourselves uh, for that wedding night. And uh, sure, you know, maybe I wanted to skip the reception. All right. I mean, I just like Jenny, you know, hey, we, come on, we've got a dinner for them. Let, you know, let's just carry on with our day. And maybe I did drive 110 to the hotel later that night. All right. But, uh, you know, sex is a wonderful thing. And I think it's great when it's reserved and it's cherished in marriage, when we choose to honor this, the Lord in this area that he has created for us. Now, let me just say the obvious for those of you that are sitting here right now and you're in a relationship and maybe you've already compromised in this area or maybe you're not dating right now and, but you've already engaged in sexual activity in your past and you're feeling some guilt from it, maybe even right about now. Uh, I wanna tell you again, you can't change the past, all right? But, but I know someone who has dealt with the past for us. And the great thing about our God is that he sent his son. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who came to forgive sins. And as the scriptures say that though our sins are like scarlet, he washes them white as snow. Uh, he makes all things new. And he can redeem you. And he can redeem your current relationship. And he can give you a new start, a fresh start. John wrote it like this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. He said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so if this is an area in your life where you've stumbled, man, seek his forgiveness. Seek his guidance and direction. Enjoy that forgiveness and that grace for your life. Pray and ask him to help you. I promise you, you won't regret it. You won't regret making a choice like that. And so we want to take appropriate time, uh, time to have these honest conversations. Man, in your dating and in your future relationships, protect your purity, save sex until marriage. And finally, the last thing is this, commit yourself to daily prayer. 
to pray. We need to pray. Uh, For the rest uh, of your life and my life, we need to become increasingly dependent on prayer for things like help and direction and wisdom. Paul Miller uh, has written on prayer. He says it like this. He says, at the center of self-will is me, carving a world in my image. But at the center of prayer is God, carving me in his son's image. See, when I'm in charge, I'm at the center it's what I want. It's what I think I need. I, 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 I leave it to myself to call all the shots. But praying, dependence on prayer puts God first. And I can take my concerns to him. And he's comfortable with my questions. And he's not surprised or upset about my temptations, my mistakes, or my fears. But prayer just keeps drawing us closer to God. And it allows him to shape us. You know, Jesus prayed and he prayed often, which is crazy when you think about it. That the Son of God, the one who you would think would need it the least, prayed more than anyone else. And he prayed after long and tiring days, and he got up early to pray, and he prayed before he made big decisions, and he prayed when he was tempted, and he prayed and he trusted his Father for wisdom and direction. And deciding who to marry, that's a really big decision. And so don't make a decision like that before you've taken adequate time to pray. And when the time is right and when you and this other person are moving towards marriage, uh, incorporate prayer into your relationship together. I mean, a relationship centered on prayer can be very powerful and effective. And if you're married today, a marriage centered on prayer is powerful and effective too. It can help you and your spouse love each other well. Praying together can help the two of you work through conflict. Uh, it, It can help you when you need wisdom and direction in your life. Uh, Praying can help you know how to parent, how to best raise your kids. Praying together is a perfect way to establish God at the very center of your marriage. And and so if you're married, if you're close to marriage, I can't imagine a better way to grow in your relationship than to have God right at the center of that relationship starting now and for the rest of your life. And so in review, we want to take time together. We want to have these honest conversations Again, I want to challenge you to protect your purity and to pray, to pray as an individual. And when the time is right and you're closer to marriage, to pray together. And God will help. He loves to help. He loves to guide and direct us. And before we close, you know, once again, not only is this story from Song of Songs the story of a king and a woman and their growing love for each other, but it's also the story of God and his passionate love for you And for me, it's the shepherd king Jesus and his relentless pursuit of his bride. That's you and it's me. And like the man in the song of songs, Jesus takes the initiative with us too. He's the one that comes running towards us, maybe as he's doing for some of you today. I mean, it was the disciple John that described how Jesus became flesh and he came to us and for us, he pursued us. And like Solomon or like this man and what he did for this woman, Jesus comes to us as well. And he invites us to come and to spend the day with him and to spend our lives with him. And he calls us out of the rocks and he invites us to bring everything we have, all of our fears and hopes and dreams to him. Where do you need his help today? Right now in your life, today. You know, maybe maybe you would say, you know what, I'm in the middle of the winter right now. I'm single, I'm feeling lost and alone. What would it mean for you to take this time this morning and ask him to help you? 
to be all sufficient for you. Maybe, maybe for some of you today, you're in a relationship right now and you're wondering, you know, what's next? What would it look like for you today to pray and to ask for his help, to ask for his wisdom and guidance? Or also maybe for some of you, maybe you're in a difficult season in your marriage right now and life has taken some hits on you and for your marriage. Something that was once so good seems to have faded and drifted. What would it mean for you to reach out and ask for his help, to ask for his strength today? Will you bow your heads with me? I want to give you the time to just do that right now. You, you know what's going on in your life. You know the circumstances, you know the challenges that maybe you're up against, the questions that you're asking. Maybe it's all good, but you just need help. You need that confidence of knowing that you're headed the right way. You need to trust. I want to just give you this time for just a couple of moments to just pray and just ask the Lord for help. He already knows. He knows what you need. We just pray and ask him for help this morning. Father in heaven, you, you are a good father, and you love us in more ways than we can ever possibly imagine. You sent your son Jesus for us, the one who pursues us, the one who comes to us and for us and invites us to come to him. We thank you, Lord, that in Jesus you've said, help us here. My help is available to you, and even like that song that we sang just a moment ago, and even through Josh's story, you know, what would it mean for each of us today to just kind of reach out our hand and to take your hand and say, Lord, would you guide me? Father, would you guide me? Would you protect me? Would you lead me right now? And uh, Father, you know every story, you know every situation here today. There's nothing that surprises you. And uh, Father, I pray that even right now as some are reaching out to you and taking their cares and their needs and their questions and their wants and their concerns to you, Lord. Um, I pray that your response to them would be so overwhelming that they would know your presence and know your love and know your help and your goodness for their lives. Father, we need a helper and we need to find our help in you. And so for every person here today, whether in a relationship or not, Lord, I pray that we would first and foremost look to you for help and you would guide us in all of these things that come up through life, maybe even life right now here today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.